This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning, by golly, and a new year. A brand new year, 2024. 2024. Welcome back. We took a couple days off to fill the uh, drink cups, shall we say. And um, we're back on Wonderful Wednesday with Ted Yoho, our representative. Wonderful Wednesday. Who, uh, wonderful, wonderful Wednesday wonderful, wonderful. with Ted Yoho. And uh, we are sponsored, of course, by some great sponsors who are still with us. We're great in sponsors. Melvin Law Studio, uh, the only official law firm partner of the Fighting Gator and protected by crime prevention. And uh, all of our other great sponsors you see on the screen here with us. Got a production uh, team back with us. Always do a great job. So we're looking forward to keeping you informed, keeping you a little bit stirred up so that you'll uh, do something. Um, as we like to say, do something for us. Uh, do something nice, you know. Um, and that is go out and affect change in a positive way. Uh, Ted is with us. And Ted, I got 38 on my computer thermometer right now. I don't know what you are over there, but... Uh, we are, Let me uh, see what the the good life community of Wilaka is this morning. It is. It says forty five. Why God? Well, you're by the water. We are right on the water. Actually, yes. yeah, forty five. Yeah, we sure are. I have sixty eight today. Well, twenty twenty four is the big year. Uh, we're going to find out a lot of things here too in the next few weeks. Ted, I like to start off. I'll, I tried sending this to you. I don't think I got it done, uh, but maybe you've seen it already. Uh, we can start talking. By the way, we've got a text message uh, from one of our listeners who would like for you to, at some point, comment on. Let me see if I can pull it up and get it the way he said it. Hang on. Um, he would like. The US, for you to comment about or discuss the U.S. non-response to all the rocket attacks on our military bases and what we should be doing. Uh, sure. He is a combat veteran. Combat veteran. Um, he was an airborne medic in Vietnam. He, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, he says we finally started doing something about the Red Sea attacks. Right. No. You want to lead off with answering that question, Ted? Yeah, we can do that. Dwight, I appreciate your service and the question. And this all stems from a lack of several things. One is leadership in Washington. We've talked about that before. If you have a weak leader, it opens up the realm of these other people like Putin to, to invade Ukraine, uh, Xi Jinping doing what he's doing. And then um, the, the rocket attacks that we're seeing on our bases. Um, you know, under Trump, you know, you have to admit this kind of stuff stopped. You know, when he went after Soleimani and uh, eliminated him and had a meeting, arranged the meeting with him and God, um, these things changed drastically. And when you have lack of leadership, um, these things are going to happen. The other thing is preparedness. Um, and preparedness encompasses several things. One is having the armament, the munitions, the planes that can fly in these things and the crews that can take care of them. But the other one is to have the military readiness in your personnel and adequate numbers. And we don't have that. We don't have the, the, the ammunition. We're, we're spending it down. We gave all that stuff to Afghanistan. We've done that in Libya under uh, Obama. They airdropped a bunch of millions and millions of dollars of equipment. They just airdropped it. And whoever found it got to use it. The idea was it was supposed to go to our people. So, again, this all comes from a lack of leadership. 
and this can they can be held accountable in Washington, and that's one of those words you'll hear. Uh, we want accountability and uh, transparency in Washington. Politicians, and keep in mind, politicians are those people that buy for your vote every two to four or six years, every two to six years in the U.S. Uh, chambers, um, and they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And so they're more concerned about their next election than they are the next generations, where statesmen worry more about their next generations. And so the politicians are going to tell you how they're fighting and they're doing this. But in reality, it's just rhetoric for the most part. Now, there are some people up there that are really trying to invoke change. And I worked with some of those people, but we were um, the minority and outcast. And I heard um, um, your, your representative Ward last night talking about that's it. No more money for foreign aid until we secure our border. You don't need any more money to secure borders. Just close the border. Just stop it. Um, but again, people talk these things because the election's coming up and, oh, we're going we're gonna to close the border. And, you know, some money needs to go to foreign aid in a good way, not the way we're doing it. And so those are the things that answer Dwight's question is it's a lack of leadership from the top down. It's a lack of Congress holding these people in the White House and the administration accountable in a timely manner. Um, and if you're going to do investigations and you're going to lead these investigations, there ought to be an outcome and a time date. These just are perpetual through the length of a Congress. You elect the new Congress and they go away and you get new people and new issues. And then the preparedness on ammunitions and on military readiness with our people and we don't have that. And that's why you're seeing Putin being as aggressive as he is. You're seeing Iranian warships now coming to the Red Sea to protect the Houthis because the Houthis are their proxy fighters. Uh, you see the Iranian warships in uh, the Western Hemisphere in Brazil. And these things are just, they're escalating out of control because America has lost its way. And this is where we really need strong leadership at this time. And uh, the only one I see that's capable of that at this point would be Trump. Nobody on the Democrat side. In fact, if they're a Democrat, they're anti-American. Absolutely. Well, oh, Mr. Uh, Ken Hillier, my good buddy Ken Hillier. Hope that helped out a little bit, Ken. Oh, it was um, Ken? I thought you said Dwight. No, it's Ken. Uh, we, um, we've got leadership down as one of the things that has not been addressed. We had it on no, the I don't see it getting addressed. Um, it's it's um, the only one that I see that had leadership qualities is DeSantis. That's in the primaries. Trump showed it. You know, people may not like his style of leadership, and uh, I'm sure you were that way in, at, at Santa Fe when you were in charge of a lot of things. You had to lead, and yeah, somebody's going to be offended. You can't please everybody, but yet somebody's got to have a direction that you're going into um, to make these programs better at the at Santa Fe uh, College. And it's the same way with our country. It's the same way when you raise your family. There's choices that you make as the head of the household that may not sit well with people initially, but then, you know, a period of time down the road, they're like, you know, I understand why you did that. Well, one of the things you That's bring leadership. back memories, uh, one of the things I did when I first became the president of the Senate as I went in and busted up a committee that had become, oh, all about itself. And um, really, same members, nothing getting done. Um, times were passing it by. I had the same chair. Um, and I went in and shook it up. Boy, you would have you thought that I had... Uh, overthrown the U.S. Constitution. Um, yeah, no, exactly. You know, you know so, many of those people get in, so many of those people get entrenched of having meetings and they think they're being productive. And I remember Carly Fiorina, when she ran against Clinton and Clinton was bragging about how many miles she traveled and Fiorina called her out and says, being active does not equate to being productive. <laughs> That's a great line. And uh, it's so true. And so you went in there and you shook up this meeting. And the purpose of a meeting is not to have a meeting. It's to have action. And um, 
that's what's lacking in Congress. I was thinking about that this morning. You sent me that that terrible article on uh, the the USDA grant on climate change on uh, burping cows. Oh my God! I want to get your opinion on that. Oh, you you set off a you, you got me going on that one. I wrote notes on it, in fact. But um, you know, we we we're going down rabbit holes we should not be going down, and uh, you know, well, since we're here. This whole climate change thing, you know, the CO2 they talked about, not in this article so much, but in the past, how it's risen. And if it gets up over 400 parts per million, we're all going to die. And the AOCs of the world says if the uh, temperature exceeds 1.2 or 1.5 degrees centigrade, life on Earth is going to cease to exist. And that woman's just ignorant. And along with the people that believe in that same stuff. And, um, you know, we passed that that benchmark and hey we're still here and if you go back into archaeological findings you know from thousands hundreds of thousands of years ago co2 level was seven thousand parts per million and so it it bodes the question you know how these people they come up with these things and it's like the pie piper and the news and media, and they all get behind there. And if you if you talk against it, you're a climate denier. And then they they dox you, and they come after you, and they try to eliminate you. And now the new thing is the swatting, and um, and so this stuff, it, it, we're going down the wrong track. And it goes back to leadership. What should we be doing on a national level to make this country stronger, better for not just this generation but future generations? And not so much worry about the rest of the world, in fact, in, in the f- sense of telling them how to live with this ESG and wokeism and all this other garbage, but just mind your own business, take care of your own house. If people like it, they're going to follow what you're doing. And uh, I think we did that after World War II, and we saw the rest of the world pretty much follow American lead. But now we're at a point where we're confused of who we are and we've lost our way. And again, it comes back to leadership, not just at the White House, but in the House and the Senate. And it even comes down to the local level. Well, this article, I'm going to back up and give the uh, listeners a little bit of the background. <laughs> it was in the Gainesville Sun set, as I call it. Oh, well, you know it's good then if it's in the mullet wrapper. Yeah. The Gainesville Bulletin. Yeah. And it says, believe it or not, and Ted was a veterinarian. And this is one of the reasons I know this, uh, and large animals, so of which you know I have a pasture full out here, and I'm trying to think how this would affect me. A taste for things grassy makes a hungry cow gassy. Oh my God! <laughs> Enough so to warm the world. That's why climate scientists say it's vital to study the burps between the moos. Not to mention the toots out the other end. That's a hell of a poem, really. You got to get it. That really is. I mean, it's uh, poetic writing and creative. We'll give him an A on that. So he goes on to say, cow belches and flatulence are a serious contributor to climate change. Oh, my God. We flunk him on the rest of this article. I mean, we'll give him an A on the creativity, but the rest of it is just garbage. Yeah. Now the University of Florida has a $5 million federal grant in hand to figure out how to blunt cow burps that unleash so much heat-trapping methane. Are you kidding me? Come on. You know, when I read this, I just, my my dander went up. I don't have a lot of it, but my hair, I could too. I I felt it wanting to stand up where it used to stand up. And it just, it, this, these are the kinds of things that irritate me that said, you know what, this is just enough of this BS. There has to be some common sense. And that's, you know, stuff like this uh, caused me to run for Congress. All right. Cows digest fiber. Absolutely. People digest fiber. Absolutely. It's an essential part of a healthy gut and flora. And if you don't have the proper amount of fiber, and beef cattle or dairy cows, dairy cattle are more sensitive in their their um, in their uh, nutritional mix uh, makeup because if it's not if you don't have the right dietary requirements of fiber, calcium, all these other things, protein, um, sodium chloride, it throws them off. 
and they'll be off of production. And I've seen where people change the, the ration, the dairy ration, and they'll come in with a new ration, like from today to tomorrow, and it'll throw those cows off. And some of those cows will be off for 30, 40, 60 days. And so your production drops. All right, so now take in mind, um, you know, one of the other favorite things for the, the, the liberals is all the poor, starving people. Well, if we take fiber away and it throws off the production and the, 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 um, the performance of your beef cattle and your dairy cattle, you're going to have less food, so you're going to need more cattle to produce more. Truth be known, we're producing the same amount of beef as we did 50 years ago with less numbers and then less acreage. All right. So agriculture on its own, usually it's a money incentive, uh, incentivized in that if I can produce more with less, I'm going to do it because it's more money in my pocket. So this goes back to Adam Smith, the wealth of nation. It's capitalism. Let's keep the government out of it and keep these researchers because you said it was a $5 million grant. That was one of two $5 million grants. Right. So the American taxpayers are spending $10 million through the USDA on research. And I'll guarantee you, if you look, do a LexisNexis on the amount of uh, methane coming out of cattle belches, it's been studied for the last 50 years. Uh, they'll tell you how much is, 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 has been produced, but we're going to study it again. You know, we're going to spend $10 million and somebody can have an endowment and they can run these programs and put in a couple of interns and a couple students. And, you know, uh, they should put a time period. You have six months to come up with a, um, a, a, a result. And if not, the money gets rescinded, but we don't do that. Well, I have fed them many a range cube and they yeah. have not burped on me. Okay. They've slobbered on me, but they haven't burped on me. Um, their tongue has, you know, wrapped itself around my hand, but <laughs> you know, it, it, those big old tongues. And, uh, uh, but it, I, I, I you know, burping is a brand new one on me. I, you know, I've heard about the pooping and all that business, but uh, uh, methane emissions is the villain here. And right. in the article, it seems to me, Ted, they're focusing on the five million for the dairy cattle because they're talking about uh, substances, enzymes in the feed. I, right. don't feed that. I don't feed that much. You know, in the summertime, they're not eating feed, they're eating grass. Well, dairy and, cattle are, are uh, well, most of them today are in what we call confined lots. I know some out in the Trenton area have over 15,000 head and they're in confined lots and they're fed a ration just continually in front of them. And it is. There's a lot of fiber, nutrition, corn, soybeans, all this stuff goes into that alfalfa. And, you know, in this article, it went on to say 20% of global greenhouse gases are methane. 20%. And um, I think it said that EPA estimated 65% of the methane comes from human activity. All right, so let's break that down. 65% of the methane comes from human activity. So 35% is from nature. You know, when you have leaves that fall off of trees in the forest or any organic material, dead animals, they get compressed over time and they're producing and letting off methane. All of our swamps, the Everglades, are letting methane out 24-7. Um, the 65% methane that comes from human activity the estimate in the United States is 35% of the methane that goes into the atmosphere comes out of our landfills. You know, we have ways to get rid of landfills by using um, um, uh, robust gasification, which is beyond burning stuff. It vaporizes it. You catch the, the byproducts of that, which is mainly methanol that can be turned into biofuels. It's used for the APIs, active pharmaceutical ingredients that go into our pharmaceuticals, which would be a great thing to do, that we could have that amount of methanol and ap that we could create APIs here in the United States instead of going to China and buying most of our pharmaceuticals that puts us in debt to China um, on, on things like that. But we've, in fact, I'm working with a group to try to get this, and we've got land procured in the North uh, Florida County 
They've given us the land to put in the robust gasification, but we can't get beyond that because the, the, the we tried this in Gainesville, in fact, at the Echo Park, and they said, oh, you're, you're burning trash. We can't do that. And it's like these guys are just so focused on on this climate nonsense, you know, because they're not being rational about it. And I think we need just need to all be good stewards of our climate and, and our resources. But this has become a religion of the left, and uh, the science doesn't back it up. What committee could this have come out of if it did so in Congress? There'll be, uh, uh, I mean, it would come out of uh, the EPA, Department of um, Environment. Uh, it would come out of the um, um, Department of Energy. Uh, you might have the, the Department of Defense in there. And then you'll have the USDA will be administering this. And so some researcher gets this great idea. It's a popular subject with the left. They go up to their representative or get in front of the, the uh, Department of the Environment, um, the EPA, and they'll present this. Of course, over a period of time, we know bureaucracies become extremely liberal. And what happens are like, oh, this is just great. This is what we want to do. In fact, we're going to spread this via the UN mandates of sustain SDG, SDG sustainable development goals. We're going to put this in Africa. You know, we're going to do this around the world and we're going to fund it by the American taxpayers. This is how this garbage gets done. And of course, the research will be here based in the United States at a credible university. And so they're going to go to Africa where they don't have fiber because it's a desert and they've eroded their land and their cattle aren't productive at all. And, you know, this is how this whole circle of nonsense keeps going. And at some point, we just need to flush it and clean house. You know, methane, there's a, like I mentioned, the dairy out in Trenton. Um, they've got the 15,000 head. They have digesters there. And they take all the manure and it flushes down. It's a passive flush system, you know, because they have to flush the milking parlor. It goes into these lagoons. It goes from the lagoons into digesters produces methane, they capture the methane and run their whole dairy and then sell the excess to the power companies. So, yeah, they're producing methane, but we're recapturing it and we're using it for energy. So there's less fossil fuels being pumped out of the ground. And, uh, you know, we should study those things. We should study robust gasification. This article went on. You're talking about it's a feed additive. I wrote an article that killed a bill in the Senate called the Feed Act, which was, I forget what the acronym stood for, but it was putting feed additives into the cattle, the cattle feed, to reduce the amount of methane. And this is all done under the Biden, you know, green, the Green New Deal. And so this was something Bernie Sanders was trying to get into this bill, and there were Republican senators uh, Roger Marshall out of Kansas, that was uh, the sponsor on the Republican side. And it was brought to me by industry. They said, we really don't want this to go through. Now, the science works. We know that. <clears throat> but the problem I saw, when you add an additive to a feed, it's going to kill your trade. And a case in point is BST, which is bovine somatic tropin which was given to dairy cows, increase their, their uh, production of milk by 10%. There's another one we gave to hogs uh, to increase their growth rate. The Asian countries stopped trade immediately because they didn't want that into their market. Canada stopped taking our milk because of this BST. We have stopped using this probably seven, eight years ago. These, comp- these countries still won't take our food, our milk or our, our pork because we used to use it and they don't trust us. And and so now we're going to add another enzyme to our food in the in in this climate change hoax and you know we're all seeing the climate change. I I, I see it. Um, but I think we're going after the wrong things here. And so we're going to add this stuff. Yes, it it works, but then when a European country says, "Well, they're putting that enzyme in there." And we're not taking it because we haven't studied it. The European Union has a very stringent, any feed additive, they call them, today they call them zootechnicals. If you put it in your feed, it has to go through the same regimen that a drug would have to go through. And it's about a 10-year process. 
And once it's proven to be okay, then you can sell it. So we would really de- be detrimental to our beef and our dairy industry. And so for those reasons, this is garbage. Uh, anyways, but we're going to spend $10 million. So you ought to feel good about it because it'll give some professor um, uh, cause for research. Um, absolutely. And um, the other thing that occurs watching some of the chat, chat line responses, your in-depth analysis now opens a lot of people's eyes who just go to the grocery store and assume, you know, there's yeah. so much science and true intellectual honesty, I like to think, involved in production of food that it doesn't need to be corrupted. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, tainted, yeah. Tainted by goofy things calling themselves science. And this is what's happened to climate change science. It's goofy. And right. And the reason it's goofy. It's marketing, too. <laughs> you think of the food dyes, the food coloring dyes. No nutritional value. Back in the old days, they were toxic. In fact, I was over at my uh, uh, places for Christmas, and they were making holiday cocktail drinks, and they were putting glitter in there. What? That was, it was kind of neat. You know, it was glitter. And I said, is this stuff okay to drink? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's the new fad. So I looked at the back of it. It's made in China. It's titanium oxide and uh, iron oxide, I think. And the warning says, it, it is okay. This will not hurt you. <laughs> it just, it was, you could tell it was written by a person that did not know English. And yeah. I'm like, I don't want any of this stuff, you know? So I read stuff like that and it's just, it, I don't need that swirly in there to make the drink taste any better. I don't need red food coloring in whatever the red velvet cake to make it taste better. You know, I think we should just stay El Natural and uh, maybe our hair will grow back if we did that, Ward. Yeah, but, well, listen, let me yeah. ask you this. You've piqued my interest and some other people's interest in listening to you talk as a veterinarian. <laughs> in How many others were there? Hold on again. My, my alarm bell is going off. You got your guard dog. Yeah, go ahead. I'll mute it. You got it? Oh, what I was going to say is uh, your expertise as a veterinarian, how many veterinarians were there? In, maybe you don't know this, but were there, it couldn't have been a lot. When I served, there was two and a half. Two and a half veterinarians? Yeah. Uh, half? There was me and Kurt Schrader. Kurt was out of Oregon, but the, the squad ran him out, incidentally. And then um, Ralph, Ralph Abrams was out of Louisiana. Great guy, Coast Guard, retired Coast Guard, still flies helicopters for him. He's a veterinarian, used to be a veterinarian. Then he went to the dark side and became an MD. Uh-huh. And so I credited him with a half veterinarian. I got you. <laughs> we, we laughed about that. So we had two and a half when I was there. Now there are none. Really? None. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're talking ag policies. In fact, the guy, great guy, David Browser out in North Carolina, he was the chair of the Livestock Nutrition Committee on Agriculture. Did not have a clue about livestock other than there's cows, and uh, there's black cows and dairy cows. And and uh, I remember, you know, um, foot and mouth disease is a, a, a very devastating disease. And if it got into America, it would stop exports today. It, it would have more impact than, uh, what's her name, Oprah Winfrey saying about the mad cow disease. Uh-huh. That was devastating to the beef industry. If foot and mouth disease got into our mark, into our soil... <laughs> Exports would stop immediately. Everything that's been exported would be recalled. It would be about a $500 billion hit to the ag industry. And it would take probably 10, 15 years to rebuild it because it's not just cattle. It's, it, you don't even, you don't, you don't, you don't test them. If they're on a farm, you eliminate the whole herd. And if you've got a thousand head, 
see you, they're gone. All right, so you've got to rebuild that. But it's the fertilizer salesman. It's the hay people. It's the tractor people. It's the farm labor. It's everything that goes into agriculture, the fencing and all that. All that gets devastated. It would be COVID to the ag industry is what it would be. Um, and and so I asked David, you know, because I stayed up on this stuff through my journals, and it's spreading throughout uh, the Asian countries. It's endemic, but it's spreading throughout Europe. And we're getting feed from China and the Asian countries that are endemic with foot and mouth disease. And this thing can live for over 45 days as it transports in feed. It comes into California and you know good and well within 24 to 48 hours that feed from, from China or Asia that lands in L.A. will be in Iowa feeding our hogs and, and that. And foot and mouth disease have, uh, affects any cloven hoof animal, you know, it's a, you know, they've got the two toes. And um, and so I brought this up to him, and he goes, I says, Dave, what do you know about foot and mouth disease? And he goes, well, I think I've heard of it. <laughs> oh, wow. And, you know, he, he's a great guy, and the chairman put him in charge of that because I was a rebel. You know, I voted against Boehner, and how dare you, and we'll show you. And so, but we led the initiative through the USDA and the AVMA to get the funding to create the vaccine bank here in the United States, because we are indebted to France as the country that had the largest bank of those. There's 20 about 27 different varieties of foot and mouth disease. And the way it works is if there's an outbreak, France is going to get theirs first and we get what's left over. And so we said, this is national security, food security. And so that was our initiative that happened. Um, but there's nobody up there with that kind of knowledge, unfortunately, unless they bring in the experts. Um, and so much of this stuff, it's just, it's crazy. The whole system needs to be revamped and you need to get people that goes back to what our founders said. They need to have, they need to be serving to serve the country long-term. And we don't have that. Very well, few people I, I think they need to be, and this really happens at the local level too, a politician was a public servant yeah. who came back home to farm, okay? He yeah. went up there to represent the Billy Matthews and those guys, the Don Fuquays. They, they would come back then and, you know, have lunch with their friends or go to the barber shop and yeah. you know, the pulse of the nation. Now you've got Chuck U. Schumer and Fat Jerry Nadler and these people. They're just disgusting. I mean, they're professional misrepresentatives of the group they're supposed to be loyal to, and that's the American people. Yeah, but you got to think, they are the representatives that get elected by their constituents. And so it's a reflection of the American populace. And this is where we've gone astray, you know, because so many of us, me included, I voted. Sometimes I even knew who the candidate was. You know, I knew enough about them. Um, I, I voted for the guy I replaced, Mr. Stearns, for 20-some years. All I knew was his name. I couldn't tell you anything on his policies until I listened to him one day, and I'm like, he's got to go. And um, and so we're not engaged like we should be. We're, we're not um, educated on the issues and what our representative is doing. And, again, I credit your show with educating people. Look at these people. They're not entitled to this job. Nobody is. It's, it's the responsibility and if they're not doing it, they need to be thrown out. It's like I told you last week. I've got a guy that wants me to endorse him, and he's running against somebody that's been there probably 20 years. He's a great guy. He's done a lot for the veterans, but he voted for Boehner. He voted for McCarthy. He's going to do whatever leadership tells him. And in the meantime, when I went in, we were $13.5 trillion in debt. Now we're $34 trillion in debt, and they're going to vote the same way the leadership tells them. Whereas I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not voting for that. And so you're standing up against all these other people and they just keep everything going off over the cliff. It's like we're getting closer to the waterfall. And at some point that ship's going to go over the waterfall. And so I, I need to endorse this other guy. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. It's just a crazy system. And it's, you know, these people that stay in there forever, 
unless they're a James Madison type or Thomas Jefferson, I want them out. I just think we ought to rotate them. Well, I'm going to tell you, we're going to take a break right now. We're going past our weather Already? break. Already? Uh, all, listen, get us going again on cow flatulence. We I'm going to go get some caliber coffee and a donut. Yeah, caliber coffee. We'll be right I'm back to you, Scott Files. I'm going to eat two donuts, one for Guy Hill and one for <laughs> Okay. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Award Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward's Weather. Brought to you by Lewis Oil. Wendell Lewis. Great supporter of us, and you should port, support fossil fuel Chevron stations with Wendell Lewis and Lewis Oil. Good friends of me and Ted. Well, 42 right now, here where we are in the Warthog Command Center. A um, little cloudy, up to 66 maybe today, and uh, back down. 46 in, on the river. Yeah, 46 on the river where Ted is on a wonderful Wednesday, and uh, probably tonight here. 43, maybe a little warmer where Ted is. Um, we got some winter storms bouncing around over the country. And um, if you're not in the way of one, count yourself lucky. If you're flying, you may be delayed. Well, we just uh, talked about, of all things, but it's much more complicated than just cow burping. The whole food production system, I think the last time I checked, Fewer than 2% of the American public produce the food for the other 98. And it's getting to be less and less. It's, it's less than that. It's right hovering at 1% and they're aging out. The average farmer, I think, is, what is it, 50, 59? Yeah, Dad. I look out here at the little place I got, and I think, you know, how much longer can I hang on? Um, there's intense growth all around me. Um, Anybody who would come in here after me would not use it um, 
agriculturally, I, I don't think. No, you're in the prettiest part of Alachua County up there where you're at. Yeah. And um, we got a few guys like uh, Alan out there at the River Ranch who can hang right. on. Right. God bless him. We got Steve Shea down here who's yeah. hanging on as a hay producer, but there's not a lot. And um, not those guys are getting older. And um, they have to go back to their roots to want to do it. I was thinking about talking a little bit ago about the uh, water, for example. I remember when I was a little kid, believe it or not, we had to pump water into our kitchen sink. We didn't have a pump. We had a windmill. Yeah, had to pump water in the kitchen sink. But I can remember just as a little kid being taken with the big guys. It was a wonderful moment out to the barn and the hay and all that to milk the cows. Yeah. And that milk would come in and the women would make everything under the sun with that milk. You had cakes, you had you had butter, you had um, it was just a fantastic deal. Um, you didn't go to the store. Finally, there was something called IGA, Independent right. Grocers yep. Association, yep. right? And you know, again, there's still one of those up there in uh, Lake Butler. Is there? Is there? Yeah, an IGA store up there. And then, of all things, came a rural electrification, yep. and yep. they began to bring power in, and then you began to have opportunity to you know run your pumps and things like that. But um, the other thing too that we had, Ted, uh, we had uh, party line phones. Yeah. And I will never forget. Which operator plugging those wires in? Oh yeah. Oh, I yeah. saw those when I was a kid up in Minnesota. I remember going down to the city hall where that lady was or wherever they were. That's right. Wires in. The lady that ran ours, Mrs. Nelson, uh, ran it from the post office. And, oh really. Yeah, and she had to know everything. And I remember, uh, see, uh, during the uh, the war, uh, they left me with what I call the old people, while the young people went off to war. My father or my mother went to town to work, you know, and um, the older ladies raised the young kids and the grandmothers and that kind of thing. And they were also teaching us, this is a funny story, teaching us our our manners and, yeah. and we had Bible study with them and that kind of thing. But when that phone rang on the wall and it wasn't their ring, they listened anyway. And, <laughs> oh, God, I remember the first time. That's saw, a coconut telegraph there now. I saw Aunt June go to the dadgum phone to the wall. And I knew one one short and two two longs wasn't us. And uh, she picked it up, and put her hand over the microphone she talked into, and listened. But you know, I got to thinking about that. They all knew each other how how they were doing. They big network of concern, you know. Right. They listened to a lot of other stuff, probably, but they knew how each other was doing, and it was a real community. But I'll never forget that. And you know, one long, two shorts. That's not us now. You know, so. Well, think about what you were just saying. I mean, what you described was, what, 56 years ago, right? Oh, God, more than that, yeah. Okay, well, I didn't want to get into your age there. <laughs> but there was probably at one point, there was over 50% of the Americans lived on a farm and produced the majority of their food. At one point, it was 100%. All right, so now over the course of years, and like you are saying, you're, you'll you'll move on in life and move away. And your, your life will be over. Somebody's going to take that land and put a development there. So there's less food being produced here. And you've heard me say this before. I think it was a year ago that America, for the first time, has become a net importer of food. Let that sink in. A net importer of food. So we went from over 100% people being in the agrarian lifestyle to 50%. Now we're down to less than 2%. It's about 1.2% of the people in the United States is involved in agriculture. That 1.2% 
is aging. They're 59 to 60 years old, the average farmer. The majority of the next generation doesn't want to take over the farmer. So there's going to be less people producing farm or food in this country. So we're going to become more dependent on the Mexicos, on on China, on these other countries, on South America for our food. That's a food security issue. And, um, you know, in the meantime, we went from people producing what they needed to get by and they sold some to their neighbors. And now we're at a point where there's massive production and consumption. And this goes back into the article you sent me. You know, everybody's, they're complaining about the methane being produced, but how much, how much energy is being produced by the 10 million people that have come in under Biden? Um, how much is needed for the food? How much production is there? How much methane and CO2 is being produced by the transportation to move these people? How much of those two, uh, methane and, and CO2 are being produced by the transportation to move them around and house them? The energy to heat those houses. You know, how much does this go on that we're, we're complicating by bad policies that come from bad leadership or a lack thereof? And these are the things that we need to take look after America and says, you know what, we're going to take care of our own. It's biblical. You know, you can't feed your neighbor unless you feed yourself first. And uh, I think it's a time that we do kind of, I don't want yeah, I don't see a problem with isolationists in the sense that we're going to take care of our own house first. And, uh, you know, I'm all for pulling out of the UN. I think we should get out of that. And I think we should get the UN out of the United States. And, you know, I said this when I was in Congress, I said it before I got in there, close the UN down here, ship it overseas, put it in Rwanda where they need it. And then we can be advisors to it. And I think we ought to uh, just disarticulate from that, get away from them and uh, mind our own business for a period of time. Yeah, I remember how we fought against that NAFTA. Um, yeah. Man, that was that was bad. NAFTA was terrible. USMCA was bad. Yeah. You know, Trump, I mean, that's something I went against Trump on. I was the only Republican in the Florida delegation that voted against the replacement of NAFTA, which was U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal, because it was devastating to our crop farmers, you know. Strawberries, yeah, strawberries, big time. Blueberries, you know, there's a great blueberry farmer, several of them in north-central Florida that you know. I saw one farm go from 150 acres down to 100, down to 50, because the crops were coming in from Mexico at the same time, same growing period, and they're undercutting them. And uh, our laws, our trade deals already have the, the, the metrics that says you can ship in this amount, but they're shipping in this amount, and we're not doing anything about it. And this is where Trump was wrong on USMCA. Got an article here I didn't send. I believe I sent it, but uh, maybe get your comments. It was out of... Uh, Washington Examiner, I believe. And it came up the four biggest likely repeat races in Congress in 2024. I thought maybe you might have some comments about it. One is a Democrat versus Joe Kent. It's a Marie Glusenkamp. Um, uh, uh, Perez is a uh, a Democrat from Washington. Oh, her last name is Perez. She won in a very close race in 2022. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about that one. She's a Democrat, yeah. This um, is in Washington State? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Kent is from the uh, Republican Party. I do not know either one of them, uh, but I know any conservative in a republic, any conservative Republican, number one, in today's world is um, is a minority. And coming out of Washington State, it's an endangered species to have a conservative from there. How about this one? Uh, Don Bacon versus Tony Vargas. I know Don. He's out of Nebraska. Uh, Tony Vargas, is he a Democrat? Yeah, yeah. Um, Bacon is a former Brigadier General. Yeah. And, um, He's very established. Vargas is an Omaha Democrat. I'm Bacon not sure beat I Vargas. 
that like a Southern Democrat of old? I'd be dang fine. No. But Bacon beat Vargas in 2022 with just 51.3% of the vote. Yeah. That'll be a tight race. And Don's a nice guy. And yeah, he's a brigadier general, but you know, he votes with leadership. I think if you oh, look yeah. at him, he was a McCarthyite uh, and he's right there. We, we can't go on like we are. We need to have people say enough of enough of this, you know, don't spend $10 million studying methane, go back and do your research on the stuff that's already been studied. And is it worth changing you know, how we handle agriculture in this country. Because if we put the pressure on our producers, they're going to start raising it in Brazil. Do you think Brazil or Argentina give a damn about how much flatulence or uh, uh, burping a cow does? No? I think they're staying up. I think they're spending sleepless nights. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Hoping this goes through so that, again, we're already starting to become an ag importer policies like this and studies like this is going to make it where we're hundred percent. I was in Singapore, talked to the prime minister Lee, who's still the prime minister. I says, uh, how much agriculture do you, do you grow? He goes, Congressman, we don't have the land. He goes, we import 95% of our food. 90. How about these two? How about this one here? Um, a Republican named Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Brian Fitzpatrick out of Pennsylvania. Out of Pennsylvania is running against an Ashley Eaz, E-H-A-S-Z. Um, a Democrat? Uh, yeah, and they're going to use, uh, oh, they're going to use um, um, abortion as the issue. That kind of worries me. I mean, yeah. it really does. That, that's, that's, their, that's their big uh, issue this year, the Democrats. Yeah, that abortion is right down the alley of, of a Democrat. Because it's a distractor, it's not a cent. You know, come on, take it up in the states and do what you want to do in the states. If you want to change it nationally, do it properly through the pro- proper process, right? Right. You know, and if you have to, if you've decided to do an abortion, you know, go ahead and do it if you have to, if you feel like you have to do it. But I'm more concerned about my my debt, about our open borders, about China, yeah. and I don't agree with abortion. Um, but I think the Supreme Court did right. They pushed it to the states where it needs to be. Ever had an abortion with cattle? What's that? Ever have to abort the calf with cattle? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes the wrong bull gets into the wrong area or the wrong yeah. age of cattle. And, right. Uh, yeah, you'll abort those. We did it. Uh, we did it in dogs. We did it in cats. Um, but I, I tell you, how sensitive this issue is. We had a cat that came in that was pregnant. The owner wanted it spayed because he didn't want the kittens. I get a setup to spay. My staff, female staff, they're like, are you really going to take these babies out? I said, well, yeah, the guy wants it spayed. He don't want the kittens. How about if we talk him into letting us let her have that litter? Really? <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll raise them. You know, you're, now you're looking at six to eight weeks after they're born. And when there was another three or four weeks before they're born. And uh, I said, I tell you what, you call the owner up. And if he's okay with that, we'll raise those kittens here. We'll give them their vaccine. We'll give them away. We'll adopt them. <laughs> and so we had uh, our kennel, our, our, our office had, I don't know about, I don't know how many cats she had or kittens. She probably had four or five kittens and, Oh, they, I mean, they're, they just, they didn't want to abort this cat. I mean, that's how sensitive, sensitive this topic is. And I'm like, it's okay with me if you don't want to, but I'm not taking care of them. You know, I just, you know, that was put off to the midwives or the mid people. I just wasn't going to deal with it. Isn't that funny? That is a funny, that is a very interesting story. That's how, that's how heated that argument gets or that topic gets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Brian Fitzgerald's going to have a tough thing. Although Brian is a very, very moderate Republican. I mean, he's probably 50-50. You know, I mean, he's very liberal in the sense compared to somebody like me. You know, I'm very strong conservative on most most things. Some things I, I softened up on. But um, 
you know, so. Anti- uh, Pennsylvania, as I understand it, is anti-abortion. Generally. You no, know, it just depends on the region you're in. It'd be like Alachua County versus, you know, Putnam County. You know, okay. Alachua is all over it, you know, because it's a liberal university. How about Vincent Gonzalez, a Democrat in Texas, versus a Myra Flores? Myra Flores is the one that needs to win. Brian needs to win, too. I mean, that's a Republican vote. Yeah. Um, and same with Don Bacon. He needs to win. All those, all the Republicans need to win. Um, Very close, though, Ted. Yeah. 52%. He, he squeaked it last time. Yeah. And now she's got a record they can attack. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. There was somebody else, too. Well, those are the five in that article. Here are five states that are looking to reform their primary elections. In Arizona, um, well, how's it going to be fine? Let me see. They want to go to rank voting? Uh, Let me see what they want. Or the jungle primaries. The new primary system would require the state to list all eligible candidates on the same ballot, regardless of political affiliation. It's not clear how the general election would work uh, in this case. <laughs> Let's go um, in and act that we'll work it out on election day. However, <laughs> they could choose also to adopt a top two approach. Right. Where the two most popular candidates would advance to the general in November. That's similar to the rank voting, like they did in Alaska that cut Sarah Palin out of it. So, Idaho. <laughs> Idaho. Again, state's issue, let the state determine it. But I think on the federal level, mm-hmm. there ought to be some federal guidance. This is a federal election. This is how it will be run. What you do in the state on state elections, that's up to you. I got you. I would, hope, I would hope our federal laws would say no mail-in ballots. You vote on the day of the election. Um, signatures are required. Residency is required. Uh, proof of residency. Picture ID. You know, all that stuff. Um, I think that's the way it needs to be, and we need to get away from all this garbage that the Democrats have put in there. And that's really what the, the Republicans should be fighting on with their slim majority. That's what I was going to bring up. Bill Johnson out of Ohio, he's retiring early, you know, and he's a guy that's been there way, way too long. Um, he's got one of those real deep voices and he talks with authority, but he's just been a puppet for the Republican Party. I've never seen him challenge anything. In fact, he despised me for voting against Boehner and never did like me. Um, and he became the president of a university and they wanted him to come earlier than he was going to. He's going to leave in March, but he moved it up. He's going to leave at the end of the mid, uh, like January 20th. And so he's putting self ahead of his constituents and ahead of the nation and, um, good riddance to him. You know, I hope the Ohio, the, the university he goes, they deserve to get him, um, I had a bill that was a small scale methane or uh, LNG bill, liquid natural gas to be shipped out of Jacksonville. We put the bill through. We got Marco Rubio to sponsor it with us in the Senate. It goes to committee who he was the chairman. And he goes, well, Ted, this is my jurisdiction. So I'm going to take this bill over. (laughs) I'm like, well, go ahead. I mean, the bill could have been passed. 10 years before that, but nobody was moving on it. We moved on it. And then that's the kind of attitude yet. Well, this is my jurisdiction, so we're going to take this bill over. And it got passed. And I'm like, I don't care who passes it. Get it passed because it's good for the nation. But, I mean, that's the kind of personality he had. And, uh, you know, I don't have time for people like that. Thanks for joining us us again on Wonderful Wednesday. Uh, Yes, sir. We... uh, raced along when we got started on the cow flatulence. Oh, I tell you what. I mean, that's the kind of nonsense. Pull the grant, you know. Anyways, I'll see you next week, hopefully. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening and tuning in, everybody, on the Warthog Command Center Files here. Happy New Year to everybody. 
Happy New Year. We'll see you tomorrow. Warchat Files. Later. Later.